Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And in this episode, I want to talk about the period uh, of about around 1973-74 in America, uh, just as the Watergate scandal began to unfold. And I'm less less interested, really, in the high politics of the issue than what seemed to be happening to um, America and to the uh, sense of um, American exceptionalism, the belief that the American Republic and the Constitution was inviolable, and the sense that the the post-war boom had in many ways come to an end. And from the, the memoirs that you read, from things like Studs Terkel and uh, I'm currently reading The Invisible Bridge by Rick Perlstein, the uh, uh, more journalistic but really quite thorough uh, account of the period uh, from uh, 73 to the early 80s and the, uh, the rise of Reagan. The, the term that comes up time and time again is that of humiliation, that America felt humiliated, that America felt that uh, the rest of the world had heaped all manner of privation and insult upon it. And the uh, oil shocks that occur in 1973 and later in the 70s uh, are, in the eyes of many uh, Americans, um, part and parcel of this, um, or evidence of this, this humiliation. And oil shocks filter into things like food prices as the cost of diesel animal feed skyrocket in 1973. Meat doubles in cost. And this was a, an existential threat in a way to the post-war notions of American life, of uh, abundance and uh, a low-cost, high-employment uh, economy. The golden era of the 50s and 60s had come to an end. The cost of the Vietnam War, nearly $700 billion, and 
57,000 American lives had um, not been as big a dent to the American sense of uh, self-worth and the American sense of um, destiny in the world, down the knowledge that this was the first war that America had lost. And if it was a war that America had lost, what did that say about America itself? Many of the founding myths of uh, America, that it was uh, God's country, that it was there to shine a light to the dark corners of the world, that it was a land of freedom and liberty. Many of these um, founding beliefs had been fatally undermined by the Vietnam War, by the horrors of um, things like the My Lai Massacre and uh, other atrocities and carpet bombing uh, and that kind of, of thing. Uh, but also the idea that America was invincible. And this perhaps hurt more. In October 1973, following the Israeli victory in the Third Arab-Israeli War, the, the War of Yom Kippur, Saudi Arabia and other OPEC countries placed an oil embargo upon the West, dramatically hiking oil prices and causing an oil shock, not just in America, but across the, West of the rest of the Western world. The entire structure of American life had been built on the assumption that oil was abundant and cheap for most of the 20th century. The uh, growth of suburbia, the situation, the situating of everything from out of town shopping malls to golf clubs had meant that the car was a necessity and the dramatic pr um, price hiking in the cost of oil meant that for many uh, car usage became uh, an almost unaffordable luxury for a brief period of time. This once again had a profound effect on the uh, American sense of uh, autonomy and the American sense of dominance that um, some obscure Middle Eastern ruler somewhere was affecting uh, life for people from New York to California. Declassified State Department um, details that were papers that were released, I think, in about 2005 or so, though I could be wrong, showed that uh, Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon were planning to invade Saudi Arabia if the oil crisis continued. And the only reason that they didn't do was the certain belief this would spark World War III with the Soviet Union, that the Soviets would uh, intervene. And as if these humiliations weren't bad enough, and the knowledge that America was um, withdrawing from Vietnam, as promised in January 1973, when uh, Nixon promised that peace with honour would be um, the, uh, the policy, uh, which was really a polite way of saying that America would try to withdraw itself without too greater humiliation. The 70s were a period of rising inflation. And so the standard of living that Americans prided themselves on, the highest standard of living in the world, or so they believed, started to be rapidly eroded by inflation. And it's at this point that we start to talk about these rather nebulous terms such as American dream. And I suppose the American dream can be thought about in many different ways. 
But in one um, way, what the American dream is, is a tacit understanding between rulers and ruled. Uh, it is the way in which, or it was, the way in which the two parties uh, gained consent to uh, run the nation's affairs from Washington, that there would be some manner of payoff to um, mainly uh, white suburban uh, working and middle class families and that there would be social advancement. The, uh, the pressure for uh, this to become uh, rolled out to uh, other minorities um, increases throughout the 1960s in some ways, uh, as is argued by James Patterson in his book Grand Expectations, that the prosperity of America throughout the 1960s actually meant that there was little moral or political justification left for leaving um, ethnic groups out of the American dream. Now, how credible that argument is, I, I'm not sure. Generally, people who monopolise power and wealth are quite happy to continue doing so, irrespective of the relative rights and wrongs of the situation. During this period of crisis, Ronald Reagan, governor of California, began to become a more significant figure on the national stage um, as Nixon's uh, star waned and other figures such as Gerald Ford could not um, in any way uh, provide the kind of leadership and direction that the Republican Party was looking for. Reagan was seen as a, a kind of um, a marginal figure um, by 1973. Economically, much of what he advocated was at that point still out of step with uh, contemporary e economic thinking. He occupied much the position that uh, Barry Goldwater had. These um, slightly woolly notions of Hayekian uh, economic liberalism, of low taxes, the idea that the state really shouldn't have um, any money, uh, that the, no, no finances really belonged to the state at all, that any money that the state had was held in trust for the people. And that the more uh, taxation that could be cut and the more uh, money that could be returned to families and individuals, so much the better. Reagan was hawkish on the subject of union rights and was critical of the New Deal. He spent much of his time in office trying to unpick it uh, comprehensively. Ronald Reagan did not believe in uh, welfare. He thought that uh, there was uh, ev every welfare dollar was essentially being pickpocketed from an, uh, a wage earner's pocket. However, something remarkable happens throughout the mid-1970s. Reagan's more outlandish comments start to become normalised and naturalised. The uh, moment where Reagan, for example, said of the Watergate burglars that they were well-meaning individuals committed to the re-election of the president, not criminals at heart. Um, and when Reagan said, was the effect of it wasn't possible that Nixon could be a crook because he was the president and presidents aren't crooks. And that uh, America had a, an exceptional role in the world as God's chosen country, and that therefore it wasn't possible that America could be giving this up 
or that America could really be in decline. It was simply that America was in the grip of the wrong kinds of ideas. All of a sudden, in the crisis years of the mid-1970s, these notions start to take hold. There starts to be a receptive audience for people that actually really don't want to believe that Nixon could be a crook. It's not something that people generally tend to wish to think of their presidents. And people who see the uh, law and disorder that is popularised on television um, and the development of a a drug culture and a a, uh, counterculture uh, from the 60s onwards as the kind of chaos that appears to be destroying America, these are the um, these are the kind of the, the moral nightmares that cause people to cling to what Reagan is saying, whether it be outlandish or not. And when people cling to outlandish ideas, they sort of stop being outlandish. They then move into the centre ground of accepted thought. And one event that seems to have been a kind of a lightning rod for self-examination was the American Bicentennial in 1976, where it uh, marked 200 years since the Declaration of Independence. Meeting this Bicentennial moment in uh, an atmosphere of crisis, of disillusionment, of both moral, social, political and uh, economic uh, decline meant that many Americans were forced to consider in a much more deeper way where America was going and where it had apparently gone wrong. For those uh, in the liberal centre ground and on the left, the answer was clear. It had been Vietnam. Vietnam had kind of corrupted the spirit of, of the 60s. For the right, uh, Vietnam, I mean, Reagan believed that Vietnam was ultimately winnable and that uh, there had, should have been a, a bit more effort put into it and probably a lot more carpet bombing and that the men who had fought in Vietnam had been let down by a political establishment that didn't have the will to really properly go for it. Um, but they believed that the 60s themselves had destroyed America, that uh, per- pervasive, uh, permissive attitudes uh, surrounding sexuality, civil rights, um, and the development of uh, a counterculture and alternative ways of living, uh, these had been the things that had destroyed America. Uh, America's culture wars even now still make this point. If you, um, I was reading only recently that the uh, presidential Richelieu, um, Steve Bannon, made some ludicrous video um, that placed essentially the financial crisis of 2008 at the door of the hippies, that essentially hippiedom was self-indulgence, and self-indulgence equals selfishness, and selfishness had caused the financial crisis, which is a, a flaky argument at best, but it goes to show you how deep the wounds of the 60s in America are still are still there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In a funny way... The American 1970s were that kind of placeholder between the 60s and the 80s. The the 60s, this era of promise and uh, crisis and catharsis, this era of um, Kennedy's new frontier, but also the uh, shadow of, of Vietnam becomes um, the era of crisis of the 1970s, of humiliation upon humiliation, ending with the Iranian hostage crisis where the staff of the US Embassy in Tehran uh, were were taken hostage. Perhaps explains why uh, a figure such as Ronald Reagan emerges uh, as a presidential candidate in the late 70s and president in the early 80s. Reagan deliberately presented himself as a nationally unifying figure and he was a a politician able to spin a clear narrative. And this was, I believe, the the essence of of Reagan's political, uh, political appeal. He was able to tell a story that explained why America had been through the traumas that it had been through. It was a largely fictitious story based on some uh, fairly shaky ideological premises, but that didn't matter because uh, people don't tend to check the stories very carefully when they are listening to them. Instead, a compelling story goes something like this. There was a golden era of American life where things were good. The 1950s, there was a world of white picket fences and milkshakes and nuclear families. Then a period uh, where we lost our way occurred, the 1960s. It had nothing to do with Vietnam. It was really the fact that we abandoned the core values of American life, decency and respect and Christianity and prudence and hard work and honesty and law and order. All these things went out of the um, went out of the window, and instead, the horrors of um, the counterculture and civil rights came along and challenged the respectable and well-managed world of white America. Now we had to endure, as a result of that, the 1970s, which were kind of even worse. 
But the 1980s are going to be a new era, a new start for America. Uh, it's morning in America, for was you know, the popular slogan. And this was a narrative that worked. Um, if you read much of what is being written about uh, politics at, at the moment, I'm just reading George Bombio's uh, Out of the Wreckage, a very interesting kind of political treatise, says essentially that politics are, are simply stories and that the more compelling the story, um, the, more, uh, with the, the, the more simplistically it explains the nature of crisis and its resolution, the more successful the politician will be. And of course, the other part of Reagan's story that he presented to the American people when in office, and indeed beforehand, was the nature of government itself. One of his uh, more infamous sayings, the nine uh, most dangerous words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help, or um, the idea that uh, we used to look to the government to uh, solve our problems, I, I paraphrase here, um, but government can't solve our problems because government is the problem, um, were some of the kind of the central tenets of Reagan's thinking uh, about the state, and obviously this is influenced by Hayek and Friedman and Ayn Rand and all, all that crowd, and the uh, economics department of the University of Chicago, um, which uh, came up with many a novel concept for reforming or changing the uh, post-coup economy of Chile, for, for example, with uh, disastrous disastrous consequences. Um, but Reagan harked back to, um, a, an, in his mind, to an, an era earlier even than, than that. When he was talking about government, he was talking about the New Deal. And Reagan was a, a passionate anti-New Dealer, and he was absolutely convinced that much of the nation's ills um, came down to the uh, benign but misguided actions of uh, Franklin Roosevelt in, in his view, and that uh, had really Hoover's policies uh, been allowed to, to play out, the Great Depression would have been over in, in a jiffy, and there would have been little need for any of the, the radical state intervention to um, rescue the American economy that Roosevelt initiated from 1933 onwards. And the, uh, the allure of tax cuts and the uh, simple belief that things can be solved by markets alone and the idea that when markets are disrupted, when the uh, delicate uh, formation of price signals within a market are disrupted by the clumsy state, that uh, economic problems ensue, this becomes moves from being a fringe idea uh, of the 50s and 60s to moving to the economic center ground in the, the 1970s and becomes increasingly popular with a generation of people who believe that ultimately um, their money is being spent on things like welfare, which is being consistently demonised uh, in the media throughout the period. And of course, welfare crosses racial lines and the um, belief that welfare is really US dollars being squandered on feckless African-Americans 
who are uh, grasping and ungrateful. Again, this is a, another racist trope that is never explicitly stated by um, Reagan. Reagan doesn't do any o overtly racist stuff, just as Nixon um, didn't make any uh, overtly racist pronouncements. But there is a, always a kind of a subtext, um, a, a hint that the um, uh, America's problems are in some way attributable to um, the uh, the figure uh, that emerges in popular culture later on in the 1980s of the welfare queen, and the welfare queen is almost always black in popular uh, in popular culture and sort of racist discourse. It's of course easier, as we know, in um, uh, times of economic uncertainty and to and uh, times of declining. Uh, economic fortunes to uh, encourage uh, people who have become less secure to lash out at those as, uh, that they see as being uh, ungrateful or grasping or in need of, of welfare. And so in some ways the story isn't about um, Reagan's views on econ the economy or tax cuts, it's about why the audience was receptive to this to such a great extent in the first place. And the uh, scene is set, really, for um, America's shift towards the economic right, towards greater individualism, and uh, a backlash against collectivism. I think not because there's a big backlash against the progressive ideas of the 60s, but it's to do with inflation. When inflation rises and erodes people's living standards, um, people naturally become less secure, uh, more anxious, more nervous, more fearful. And this is a, a, a fantastic kind of breeding ground for all sorts of kind of negative outcomes. It's a great way of encouraging people to think of number one. And the ideology that Reagan propounds throughout the 1980s is quite explicit, obviously, uh, Oliver Stone um, in the film Wall Street, when he has Gordon Gecko saying "Greed is good," um, takes this to a kind of um, it, it's it's most e explicit, obviously, you know, critiquing it uh, um, as well. But uh, without the oil shocks of the nineteen seventies and the economic shocks of the nineteen seventies and the uh, the ending of American post-war certainties, it would have been slightly more difficult to foster this spirit of uh, individualism, given that there had been a, a much stronger sense of collectivism uh, in America uh, since, the, uh, since the New Deal and the Second World War. So there you have it. The uh, very often political leaders that emerge, uh, you know, the people that are in the right place at the right time, but they're often products of the powerful economic and social forces that exist in that moment, and they're the products of the, the people that, that exist. I'm very much subscribed to the idea that people like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher didn't make the 1980s. Instead, they were the products of the 1970s, and they were the products of the people of the 1970s, who um, were already kind of beginning to shift in particular ways towards particular ideas. And it's in, in many ways, the population is slightly ahead of the curve. And it's clever politicians like Thatcher and Reagan that scent what is in the air. They understand 
what is afoot and are able to kind of gauge the political atmosphere correctly and make their decisions accordingly. Anyway, I'm going to finish there. I hope you enjoyed this and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Do check us out on Facebook, the Explaining History Facebook page and uh, come by, say hi. It'd be great to chat. All the best. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.